0: The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with J. Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Uh, Jay just texted in. Said, hey, um, I just want to point out. That what you felt while you while you were at the memorials was exactly why and all my son's command was pertinent to our anthem. The change to the wording has gutted the meaning and dishonours the sacrifice of those young men. Don't want to start an argument, but I'm pretty miffed about it. That's from Jay. Uh, thanks for that. And, you know, interesting today as well as, um, you know, you're watching the stuff on, on the news and uh, listening to us talk on the radio. There are... Uh, A number of events going on. I was talking about uh, the service at Benny Cermere Cemetery. How about this one? I mean, some of these old guys just absolutely love them. Um, Some parachutists are jumping all over Normandy uh, right now. And just as uh, soldiers did about 75 years ago. This time, though, a little bit safer for them, obviously. um, A fellow by the name of Tom Rice said he wanted to do it again. He wanted to do it again. He was 97 years old. So... Uh, He went up with a bunch of other jumpers. They were honoring the airborne soldiers who, um, you know, uh, jumped into gunfire ahead of uh, the seaborne invasion on uh, June 6, 1944. Uh, Anyway, so he did it, and he was so excited about it. He had jumped with... the 101st Airborne Division, uh, 75 years ago, landing safely, um, but uh, apparently a, a bullet did strike his his parachute years ago. He called the 1944 jump the worst jump he ever had. He said he got his armpit caught in the lower left corner of his door, came out, hit a tree. Uh, anyway, went on and on, but today his jump was uh, much, much different. He came down in tandem with another parachutist after preparing for six months for with a physical trainer. So he's 97 years old. 97 years old, jumped into uh, Normandy off the coastline with 101st Airborne Division 75 years ago. And today he did it again at the age of 97. Wow. Uh, And uh, he was just all full of smiles, having a a ton of fun. He He flew down with an American flag fluttering beneath him, landed to a wave of applause from the crowds of thousands who had gathered to watch everything that was going on. Uh, there was a, a number of, uh, of, of jumpers, as I had mentioned, uh, going across. He said uh, he asked uh, he was asked how his D-Day comrades would have felt about him jumping, and he said they would have loved it. Some of them couldn't handle it. Many of them are dead. We had 38 percent casualties, uh, but he went on to say, you know, when you look at the number of uh, the D-Day survivors and uh, our World War II uh, veterans, how many are still around? That number is dwindling fast. And you know, this fellow at 97 years of age, 97 years of age, saying he represents a whole generation. Uh, anyway, it was uh, just the number of stories coming out uh, of of these uh, events over the past couple of days have been have been something else to listen to and to to watch. Now, um, I had mentioned to you in 2003, I had gone to France to cover the opening of the Juno Beach Center. Uh, Global Edmonton had sent me over there, and um, it was uh, a week. Eight, nine days that we were over there and and it was just it was uh, it was life changing. And so there, you know, there's Juno Beach and then there was, you know, Vimy Ridge. And I remember calling my dad and saying, Hey dad, you need to see this. It was my dad that always had the military history love, the love of military history, and we grew up with it, but didn't really ever he didn't really ever pay much or I didn't pay much attention to it. My grandfather was in the Royal Air Force and anyway, um, I, I called him and said, "Dad, you need to see what I've seen today. This would be really, really cool." Uh, so anyway, uh, we decided to go back the following year. So we went, went back in 2004, and we just rented a car, and we uh, we trucked all around uh, Normandy, and then we went over to Belgium, and then when we went back again in, in 2008, and uh, it was it was a pretty cool experience. Now it's been 11 years since I've been, but uh, looking to go back. Um, met some really really cool people met some really neat um, neat folks heard some amazing stories went to some Ameri- amazing uh, services the The service at the Men in Gate uh, in UPS is absolutely unreal but again these are all things and you know it, it may not you may not be super interested in it, and I get it but sometimes I think you know we need to take a look back uh, there was a veteran from the Ortona campaign campaign, and I was talking to him just outside of Benny Sumer Cemetery um, when there was a service being held there and and I asked him why it was important that he was there that day, and he said, "Well, you know, for my guys that couldn't be here that day." And um, and then he just said to me, he "says You know, we'll never have a future if we don't remember our past." And that is something that has stuck with me for the past how many years? 16 years now, and it's just there, and that's what I write in any of the cemeteries that I go to when I'm when I'm there. One of the one of the other things, and, and I'll, I'll I'll switch it up here, and I just am reflecting while I while I have some some time here and looking at <coughs> excuse me some of this video, you know. Um, after that ceremony at Juneau Beach Centre, and you're probably going to see it tomorrow as well. So tomorrow there's going to be a big fancy ceremony and, you know, the Prime Minister's going to be there, the Prime Minister of France will be there. There's all sorts of tour groups, there'll be veterans, all that sort of thing. What was fascinating, and when the Juno Beach Centre opened, the very, very similar thing happened. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but when everyone went away, when all the fancy pants went away, when all the pomp and circumstance went away, These guys and gals stuck around. And they turned music on, music from that time. So you know you're listening to the White Cliffs of Dover, all of that sort of stuff. Some of them were down collecting poppies that they had picked up off off of the uh, off the beach because uh, a helicopter had gone by and dropped forty-four thousand poppies on the beach. Others are dancing. Some of them are just there wiping tears out of their eyes, and you just have a chance to talk with them. And again, it was absolutely one of the most uh, interesting and special moments of my life was spending uh, that evening with those folks as they were remembering their friends, their fellow comrades, their brothers, their sisters. Um, Yeah, I'm never going to forget it. Anyway, on that note, at 2.41, I'll take a break and we'll come back. We'll change things up. Well, the internet can be a pretty scary place for kids. Heck, it can be a pretty scary place for adults, let's be real. Um, It can also be rather eye-opening for the curious. What should you do when your kids, maybe your kids, maybe your grandkids, maybe your niece and nephew, whatever it is, that, that little person in your life stumbles onto sexual content online and what impact could it have? To get some answers, we're joined by Dr. Jillian Roberts, who's a child psychologist and author of Kids, Sex, and Screens, Raising Strong, Resilient Children in the Sexualized Digital Age. Dr. Roberts, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your program. Well, thank you. And, and so it's, it's interesting, you know, you're a child psychologist. You've written a book about this. When did you start to see um, this really becoming an issue?
1: Well, I would say uh, probably around 2010 um, in my own practice, I I started to see an incredible influx in uh, in the types of calls parents were calling with uh, and in 2013 I, I developed a little app called where Do babies come from mm. um, meant to uh, help parents navigate that first conversation with a really young child my my hope was that if parents could begin a conversation about the birds and the bees with little ones and then extended, uh extend that conversation over time they could get to the children before the children got online um, that was that was my hope that I've seen an incredible influx uh, over the last 10 years mm-hmm. uh, in, in this area. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's you know I, I think back again, you know, doctor. I'm I'm 48 years old and I I can remember growing up and there was more and more concerns about you know sex and advertising and sexual content in shows. But I think yeah, absolutely. In the past 10, 15 years, we've certainly seen a lot um, on television. What's uh, what's allowed on there? What uh, what 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 kids can see? Um, but of course, the internet is just such a, a whole big old world as well and, and i know even in in our family that that is where you know some of the first things you know they've been on there and it's like oh what's that like one click and then another click and then you're down a you're down a, a rabbit hole that you know you can't necessarily get out of but for a young kid who hasn't seen anything or doesn't know they, they become curious don't they
1: well, yes, and so what What I've seen in, in my practice is kind of two kinds of kids. So I, on the one is a child who is curious, and what I say to parents is it's – perfectly normal to be curious about our bodies and about sexuality. Um, we must be, be be careful that we're not giving any kind of message uh, to the child that, that sexuality is bad or mm-hmm. wrong or dirty or anything like that. It's normal, it's healthy, uh, and it should be beautiful, right? It can be beautiful. Um, but what happens is that when children stumble onto hardcore pornography, they're getting completely different messages. Like, it, 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 is, it is frightening. Um, and I've had little girls ask me, is that what I'm going to be supposed to be doing? like at some point in my life and it's it's it can be very very scary. That's what um, I was going to ask then,
0: is there a difference speech yeah. is there a difference between the impact it has on a girl a little girl and a and a boy
1: I think it depends on, on what was seen online um, b- because there, there's there's a wide range of things and there's there's a wide range of uh, um, possible viewings of, of little boys or men being hurt online. So like I think it does depend on, on what. But I would say kind of mainstream pornography can be very, very unsettling for a girl, a little girl. Um, but where I have seen it be unsettling for a young man is I've had a few kind of middle schoolers or early high school kids and they, they don't they want to have a girlfriend they want to reach out and they don't really know how and sometimes they mimic what they have seen online mm. which you know which just sets <laughs> them up for uh, like a whole bunch of, of interpersonal problems
0: so when you're talking you talked about that app that you had set up the where do babies come from app mm-hmm. and you know you're you, this is uh, uh, something that you're dealing with you've written a book about it so how do we prepare kids for this uh, we I'm guessing we have to start early
1: yes so I've, I've actually written nine books <laughs> so you're, you're talking about my most recent book um and i also have a book uh, a children's book called on the internet which was released by the canadian publisher orca book publishers um so my hope is that kids sex and screens and on the internet together can be a tool for parents the parents can read their book, and the children can read their book and ask questions to their parents uh, uh through that um but but yes it, it is an area that i've been tremendously concerned about and felt like i had a responsibility mm-hmm. you know to you know, as a child psychologist, I see a, 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 like a, a facet of our world that not very many other people have the honor to see, like I do. Um, not all parents will will talk about their problems with other parents um, or within their family. Even sometimes they want to be private and confidential about delicate matters, and so they seek consult out outside of their circles, um, which which is sometimes me. So.
0: Well, and, and sometimes it can, be, it can be you, but then sometimes it can be influences elsewhere. They're maybe not getting the right information, right?
1: Exactly. Or children aren't getting the right yeah. information. Yeah. Um, so the one, if I can give parents or grandparents one key um, message is if a child comes to you because they've seen something online, or if a child, um, you happen to see that they've stumbled on something on, uh, inappropriate online, do not scold them. Mm. Do not shame them because what's important is that um, no matter how disturbing it was to see or to be asked that question, you want your children to know that it's okay to ask you. Um, um, You can be the go-to person in their life, um, and they're not going to come and talk to you about these things if they've been scolded or shamed. Mm. So it's really important that we are able to um, sort of regulate our own responses in relationship (laughs) to an
0: exposure. You know what, Dr. Jillian Roberts joining me this afternoon. Dr. Roberts, I remember my mom giving me you know we're going way back you know the whole birds and the bees talk and and how uncomfortable (laughs) how uncomfortable that was and uh, you know although my parents were were you know and and still are are great and you know open and and it was a it was a good childhood it is uncomfortable i think it doesn't necessarily matter how great of a relationship or how open you are with your um with your 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 parents and your children there are things that are uncomfortable to talk about how do you make those uncomfortable conversations left left less uncomfortable
1: I think you start earlier, right? So I, I, what what used to be the old adage that we were taught in graduate school is that you would encourage parents to have the talk uh, at about age nine, right before puberty. And, and then those conversations would also include all the changes that was going to happen during puberty. But the problem is, is that if we wait till nine, right, mm. children will have already seen something. So yeah. all of like the internet changed the timing for us. Yeah. You know, we, we had, and, and so what happens is if you can have that conversation earlier, it is way less embarrassing. And I can vouch for this. You know, I've had, I have three children, and my youngest is six. And we've had all sorts of conversations about the birds and the bees. I have my books all over my home, all over my practice. Um, and so, children, you know, in my life, have asked me questions when I was pregnant and practicing. Um, children said, "How does the baby eat in there?" You know. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think you can have conversations with little ones, um, and then over time, extend 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 that information the talk is no longer a one-time event it's a series of conversations that add a little bit more a little bit more depth over time Um, and then the second hint that i would give your your listeners is try talking in the car um i found it very helpful because you're driving your eyes are looking forward you know maybe they're in the back seat or beside you but they don't have to look at you when they're asking the question um And and we've also, we we love listening uh, to the radio in in the car, and sometimes you'll you'll hear things like same-sex marriage um, or abortion uh, um, um, rights discussions around the world, Uh, and it's an opportunity to take that current event and have a conversation with your children in the car, Hmm. you know, an age-appropriate conversation with your children in the car.
0: Dr. Roberts, curious about, um, you know, some of those conversations and using the proper language for body parts and that sort of stuff. How important is that?
1: important Uh, and there's a a whole body of research that shows how critically important that is Um, what we know is that when children um, have the the correct words um, they're able uh, to tell someone else if they've been hurt And, Mm -hmm. and that's one of the main findings so if you know if A a child has like a pet name um, for a private part uh, and they go to tell their teacher someone hurt my bunny or someone like whatever yeah yeah, yeah. right it it doesn't it it can be the child can be misunderstood yeah Um, but however if you if you want to make sure you use the proper names um, then then the child is able to communicate with us Mm -hmm. in a way that's clearer and we know that using proper uh, terms for body parts helps keep kids safe
0: before I let you go um, when it comes to uh, computers when it comes to the internet you know you've touched on a number of things here um, you know we talk about parental controls and, and that sort of thing how effective are they and what what else should we be looking for uh, on, on, on the on our kids computers I, I mean is it do we go in and search their history
1: um, well I, I I'm not a I'm not a big fan of i think what happens when the children get older like teens it can really you know it can like that relationship can deteriorate just when that teenager needs their parents the most so like checking the history would only be something i would i would be comfortable with under like really serious circumstances um but what uh what i what i I think um, um is important is that parents Think about parental controls as one of the solution, but not to put too much faith in them. I think it's better to have parental controls than not to. Um, mm. But I know a lot of children who know exactly how to get around. Them. <laughs> so don't don't be too confident or overly confident. It's good to have them because it does help to block some of those unwanted pop-ups. Yeah. We know about 66% of children first see something inappropriate by accident. Yeah. Right? So I think it can help with that uh, that part of stumbling onto things. So yes, it's good to have one and not to have one, but don't, don't think it's going to be all that you need.
0: Well, Dr. Roberts, you've given us a lot to think about today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me on your program.
0: Take care now, Dr. Jillian Roberts, a child psychologist. She is uh, an author of nine different books. The latest one is uh, "Kids, Sex, and Screens: Raising Strong, Resilient Children in the Sexualized Digital Age." Uh, if you want to check it out, she has a, a number of different um, books out there to help uh, on this on this uh, subject as well. If you want to listen a little bit more, eleven o'clock on Sunday, right here on six thirty, ched This week's edition of Family Matters, Matters will. We'll tackle it as well.